You're listening to In Technology, your source for trends about security, sustainability, and technology. We can't undo the Industrial Revolution, and we can't undo the Industrial Revolution because we have too many people living on Earth, and we can't feed all these people, so we can't reverse the clock. So technology and innovation is our only chance to combat climate change. Hi, and welcome to the In Technology podcast. I'm your host, Tom Garrison, and with me as always is my co-host, Camille Moorhart. And today we have an amazing guest, Tamar Alam. She is an IBM fellow and chief scientist for sustainable computing. She's been at IBM Research since 2000 and has 20 years of experience in pioneering disruptive technologies. She's passionate about applying innovation to address the biggest problems humanity faces today. So welcome, Tamar. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. That's a great opportunity. Yeah, we're excited to talk about this today because we're going to talk about sustainability and uh, try to, to really level set folks on what is sustainability and and why does it matter and, and, and those sorts of things. So let's first, though, start off with just the basics from your point of view as an expert in the field. What is sustainability and, and why is it so important when it comes to computing devices? Happy to talk about it. This has been my passion since 2019. The reason why I decided to switch from working on microservices and cloud computing to focus on sustainability is because climate change is the number one most important challenge that humanity is facing today. And in order to change the trajectory that we're on today, the number one thing that humanity can do is to reduce the carbon in the atmosphere and reduce the carbon emission that is the result of human activity. Sustainability is about mitigation and adaptation to climate change. If we look at adaptation piece, it's all about predicting climatic events and knowing how to respond to them and being prepared for climate change. When it comes to mitigation, the number one thing we need to do is really to reduce the uh, carbon footprint in the atmosphere. So the issues that are specific to computing is that really we are at an inflection point where there are multiple trends that are obvious and that are happening today. And one is the exponential data and data transfer. Like everything is on uh, Zoom and all these video transfer games and so on. So that's obvious. And that, of course, comes with energy emission and so on. Then there is the uh, new emerging workloads in the cloud that are very energy hungry, such as AI. So if you look just at AI, which is obviously very popular, for very good reasons, the uh, energy for training AI jobs doubles every three to four months. Wow. That's like crazy. And AI, look, AI is an amazing tool. And, you know, we and IBM are all embracing AI. We're doing AI. We're living AI. And that's because AI can help us actually really face all of these challenges, uh, including discovery of material for carbon capture, including analyzing satellite images and predicting climatic events. AI is a great tool. However, with power comes responsibility, as I like to say. 
So how can we use AI responsibly and how can we really work to make AI more efficient? That's the second trend. And then the third trend has to do with the, the demise of Denard scaling, also known as the flattening of Moore's law. And basically what that says is that we cannot uh, continue to expect to get the efficiency improvements from general purpose computing chips. Like we used to get every two years, you get more energy efficient and more energy efficient and more energy efficient. And that's because we reached the limits of physics. And that's why there is a move to specialized systems. And I, I will talk about specialized systems and what, why it's important later. But because of these three trends, this has caused some to raise the alarm on the increasing energy consumption of computing in general. In fact, the Semiconductor um, Corporation uh, published a report, a decadal report, and basically, the bottom line there is the, the energy for computing overall is growing in a faster rate than the uh, energy f uh, that we're producing, period, than the power that we're producing, period. And that's a problem uh, because, obviously, we need more computing, but we need more efficient computing. You know, we've been talking about data centers, and the same applies also on clients. So the client devices themselves, you have the sort of amount of energy and amount of carbon footprint associated with building the device. And then you have the amount of energy that it takes to operate the device. And I know one of the things, at least from my dealings in this world, I was really taken back. For example, on a laptop, the amount of energy over the device's entire life, most of the carbon footprint is associated with building the device. Only 20% is in use. On the server side, it's exactly the opposite. It's 20% is embodied uh, in building the server and 80% is over its operational life. And the interesting thing is that a server's carbon footprint is about 10x what a client is over its life. Depending on which kind of device you're talking about and you want to reduce the carbon, you would have a, a very different set of actions to try to reduce that carbon footprint depending on the type of device you're using. Exactly, exactly. And I was also astonished to discover this fact. And indeed, you're introducing the second dimension, the energy for IT, the power usage effectiveness, and the uh, source of the energy, carbon emission factor, but another dimension here is the entire life cycle of that compute device. Can you explain what kinds of things, what kinds of practices we're doing sort of globally that are not helping us <laughs> you know, over the last mm -hmm. 20 years? And then what kinds of things are truly going? Do you think we're there? You said it's a tipping point for the climate, but is there a tipping point for us and what we can do with technology at this point? Or are we just still marching down this path with arrows going up and down? I'm looking at it more from an outsider. So I can observe trends, I think, more than someone who is always doing this, you know. And what I'm seeing is that the systems guys, hardware, they always had energy in mind. Always. When you talk with systems guys, with the people that are actually designing chips, they always try to improve the energy efficiency. They always try to have the chip smaller and more energy efficient. Not news for them. They've been doing it forever. Software people, people that are actually writing code, have 
Absolutely no idea. With the years, we see the introduction of new operating systems and new platforms and cloud computing and serverless and all these trends. And some of it is good. So for example, when you look at cloud computing, in general, cloud computing is good for sustainability. Why? Because it's more efficient. When you have these exascalers, they have more efficient hardware, they're purchasing more renewable energy, but they also have automation. So because they're automating and they also have economy of scale. So workloads of different clients can run on the same hardware. If they're smart about it, they can do very sophisticated multiplexing. So they get more efficiency, more utilization, and the automation, you know, grow and shrink, maybe power down machines. So that's why cloud is actually very good for sustainability. However, in general, with software, because there is lack of awareness, we're reaching the point where we have more and more specialized systems that introduce latencies of microseconds, such as different accelerators and uh, non-volatile memory technologies and so on. But because of the levels of indirection that you have in the software stack, we're not always uh, able to utilize it in the best way. So we need to catch up with software awareness to sustainability. Thank you for that specific answer on computing. And then I guess just, do you have a more general answer as well for technology? The way I look at it, technology is our only chance to combat climate change. We can't undo the industrial revolution and we can't undo the industrial revolution because we have too many people living on earth and we can't feed all these people. So we can't reverse the clock. So technology and innovation is our only chance to combat climate change and science, obviously. So we're making advances. Uh, we need to obviously completely transform the, the power grid. Uh, we need to introduce optimization in the way we're leveraging renewable energy, which is the big, big, big thing. The thing with renewable energy is that it's dynamic by its nature. It's not constant, so it's not predictable. When you have wind, then you have wind power. When you don't have wind, you don't have wind power. If you have clouds, you're getting less of solar energy. So how to deal with this unpredictability? We need to have ways to control or manage the load and to be able to plug it into our smart cities in the best way. And we're not there yet. Uh, but what is going to save us? <laughs> the only chance we have is introduce AI, introduce innovation in order to manage this. Now, one place where I think that is a best match for the dynamicity of renewable energy is cloud computing. Why? Because of its dynamic nature, workloads can actually move with containers. Workloads can actually move to different zones, to different regions, and mm, different tasks can run at different times. So you can actually match the dynamicity of the cloud computing with the dynamicity of the grid and thus maximize the usage of renewable energy. You can't move a hospital. You can't take the hospital and move all the patients to a different uh, region where you have more renewable energy at certain times of the day. It's not even you have more. It's You have more at certain times of the day. But you can do it with uh, cloud workloads. And I know many people, including us, are developing the technology to do that spending more and more energy as humanity it's not going down we need to match it with uh, innovation to be able to uh, address this challenge so tomorrow you, you talked a bit about the hardware elements and 
uh, I think most people, when they think about sustainability, they, they think about things like, I don't know, recycling and whatever. It's physical. I don't think people necessarily internalize as much in the, in the technology world is the importance of software and how you can have the exact same device, physical device, and in one sense, running certain code and uh, having a vastly different carbon footprint than the exact same machine, but running different code. And so can you speak a little bit about where are we at from an industry standpoint on sustainable software, you know, sustainable code that runs on these devices? I think we're really just scratching the surface. We're really just starting. From a high, high, high level, you need to divide two different things. There is the actual code that implements the algorithm. Obviously, if you have an algorithm that is more efficient, because you use more efficient way of solving a problem, then it's going to consume less energy. Then there is how you deploy the software. So if you have most of the applications today are distributed, where you put the data and where do you put the compute? You want to put them in the same location. So this is called co-placement of that data and compute. So you save on the communication overhead here. And then uh, there is the aspect of management of the um, code. So everything around the management is so important. And uh, I don't think that people realize it. But if you take a platform such as Kubernetes, there is a placement algorithm there. So code is packaged as containers. Containers are lightweight. That's a good thing. Uh, but then as you get more and more pods, there is a component there that places the pods on the node. How you place the pods on the node will have an effect on efficiency. How you determine the size of the container, because the users don't know. So they come up with a size for the container. It's too big. So vertical scaling is what we call it. Dynamically changing the size of the container will have an effect on efficiency. So as I said, it's not only how you write your code, it's how you deploy a distributed application, and then it's how you manage the entire thing. What kind of efficiency improvement are we talking about here if you adjust your code? In terms of the efficiencies, look, so if we're talking about any code, like without talking about specific workloads, uh, it's hard to give you an answer, but we're talking about between zero to 20%. That's the ballpark. Well, which is huge if you're talking about, you know, a, a server at scale, if you're talking about a server farm, that would be huge, yes. right? Yeah. But that's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Then it comes to specialized computing where you, you, you have AI, you have a special AI chip. So this is the entire area of taking software and systems and co-designing them together. If you know something about the workload, like if you know something about AI, you can design an AI chip that will perform much better for AI workloads. So it, it cannot address all the workloads, it can address AI workloads. I think it's fascinating, and this, I think this is the future when you talk about specialized system uh, or software and system co-design. Look at the characteristics of that workload that you have. Can you tolerate failures? Can you tolerate some inaccuracies? Metrics multiplication, it's a very specific thing, which is used everywhere. Can we optimize for just metrics multiplication? So Tamar, where, where do you think um, folks, you know, the people listening to this podcast today, uh, 
where can they get smarter on on what they should do? You know, uh, where where they can either, you know actions they can take or or uh, you know people to listen to. Where where sh- where should you send them? Hmm. Good question. Um, so we have a lot of material on our uh, IBM website if they want to get educated about what is analog AI, which is the future, and what we're doing with the digital AI, which is the reduced precision chip. We are trying to start a work group under CNCF for sustainability. So this would be a place to watch. Obviously, there is the general area of sustainability and GHG protocol defines how things are measured and so on. So there is a ton of material about just the basic stuff of how do we measure? How do we quantify? Uh, what is the life cycle carbon footprint of products? And then extrapolate from that to machines or software. So that is very well documented. Can I ask you, you mentioned a little bit ago in this conversation that in 2019, you listened to, I think, a lecture and it changed your life and you moved from cloud computing architects to sustainability innovator. What did you hear? What resonated with you that changed everything for you? Yes. So this is a, a presentation that Steve Easterbrook, a professor from the University of Toronto, gave in the uh, ICSI conference, which is the International Conference on Software Engineering in Montreal. And uh, it was a, a keynote about climate. He's a technologist that made the shift exactly like me to just work on climate. What he said is that the UN report from uh, 2018 that was very grave was actually really uh, underestimating the problem that we're facing. And the reason why it's underestimating the problem is because it didn't take into account the interrelationship between multiple different systems, such as the permafrost melting in, uh, in the North Pole, resulting in uh, the release of methane to the atmosphere, which is even accelerating the global warming even more. As exactly as he said, he said the research is going to come out. I followed it after I uh, listened to this presentation. And indeed, research started coming out about saying the 2018 very grave report is underestimating the problem that we're facing. And basically what he says and the takeaway from this talk was three different things. Is one, talk about it. Talk about climate everywhere, which is what we're doing now. (laughs) Two is be political. And what I mean by be political is take any opportunity to vote, any opportunity that you have. And three, make it your job if you can. As I said, it sort of caught me and I couldn't stop thinking about it. I started asking everyone in IBM is, okay, what are we doing about climate? What are we doing about climate? I got pulled into multiple client conversations. And then in January 2020, IBM Research decided to start a new program, which is called the Future of Climate. And uh, I immediately joined. And then COVID hit and we all went down and started working together on Future of Climate. (laughs) And uh, that's where I am (laughs) until, until today. That's great. So, Tamar, uh, this has been a, a great conversation, I think, to get people starting to think, even if they haven't uh, before that, uh, about the intricacies around sustainability and how it relates to computing. And there's so much more that's going to be coming. In fact, Camille and I are going to have 
focused conversations in the podcast on sustainability from here on out. Thank you for coming in. And uh, we look forward to all of the exciting sort of discoveries that are going to be in this area uh, moving forward. Thank you. Stay tuned for the next episode of In Technology and follow at Tom M. Garrison and Camille at Morehart on Twitter to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and author and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Intel Corporation. Thank you.